that's who Jesus was, right? He was on his way to do something important, surrounded by crowds, and yet he stopped. For a nameless woman, he stopped and he looked for her and he spoke to her and he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. What is the importance of ministering to women and children in the epicenter? And how does the Joshua Fund impact them in the Middle East? We must not neglect women and children as they are near and dear to the heart of God. Hi, and welcome to this episode of Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and today we present Lynn Rosenberg's insight on the importance of women and children ministry and how the Joshua Fund makes an impact. It's a dream of ours, really, to see a group like this here, people who are making a difference in their communities and their churches to get a vision for what God's doing in Israel and to take that back to your communities. So we're thrilled, really, really thrilled for all what God has for you and then what you can bring back to your people. So we're going to talk a little bit about women and children's ministries, and this is a perfect place to do it here in Migdal. I'm going to share a little bit uh, kind of about the vision of why we do what we do. Cassandra, who is really on the ground doing the practical things and working with our partners, is going to share about three different specific projects that we do. And then I'm going to introduce you to one of my heroes, who is Rhonda. I will try not to cry. I'm a crier, so I'll just give you that warning ahead of time. I like to say, you know, I'm Italian heritage, although we did the DNA test and I'm only 24%. I was so disappointed. I was like, I want it to be a full 50%. My grandfather spoke Italian. I should be full Italian, but. Excellent. Well, thank you. God bless you. I like that. So yeah, so I cry. I have the emotion, but it's uh, the passion is there. And I like pasta, unfortunately. <laughs> But I'm also, I'm from New Jersey, like Jeff. I guess you got to meet Jeff this morning. So we have any, we do have one couple from New Jersey, the Quazos, uh, the other Quazos, not related. There's a lot of New Jersey sparks. Excellent, excellent. Yes, well, we all know New Jersey is the other promised land besides Israel. But anyway, and then I want to take a little bit of time. I want to make sure we save time at the end for two important things. One is to take some questions because I always prefer to hear what you want to know than just me talking at you. And I hope that the things we share will bring up some questions in your mind that we can answer. And then secondly, just at the very end that we can pray, especially we can pray for the women that Cassandra will tell you about. And we can pray for Rhonda. Her husband is also here with us, Bashara. And yay, yo, Yakim, thank you for translating. What is the meaning of the word Bashara, Rhonda? The good news. What a name, right? Isn't that a great name? So his literal name is the good news. Bashar is a pastor of two churches up here in the Galilee in two different villages. And I'll start right there, actually, because I got the privilege that Carl mentioned to help. I didn't design it myself. I had a coworker. So two of us together, we designed a program, the first ever certificate in women's ministry in this country. And so it's very, very exciting. It was supposed to be a two-year program, but COVID happened. It became a three-year program because... It was too much for all the kids had come home and we were meeting remotely. So we were doing lectures by Zoom and, and conversations by Zoom. It was not so fun. We didn't have our baklava. We didn't have our Turkish coffee. We didn't have our hugs. It was not so fun. But thankfully, at the beginning and the end, 
we were together. But in the middle, we suffered like all of you did, I'm sure, through the COVID period. But that three-year period, we had 20 women that went through the course. We had invited believers from all over the country, on, from the Arabic background, from a Jewish background. We didn't plan it this way, but the Lord planned it to be exactly half and half, half from an Arab background, half from a Jewish background. It was so beautiful. The vast majority of these women were pastors' wives. We had like two or three that were not wives of pastors. They were just other wonderful leaders in their churches. And something that you have to know about the churches in Israel is that they are very, very small, very small. They don't have staff. We think of a church in America with a pastor, an assistant pastor, a youth pastor, a worship pastor sometimes, a Sunday school pastor, a women's director. Here, there's the pastor and then his wife. (laughs) His wife is the one that does hospitality. Middle Eastern hospitality is legendary. You don't serve someone a sandwich. You cook all day. Right, Rhonda? (laughs) Or multiple days. She is an amazing, I've had nice meals at Rhonda's house. Amazing. There's nothing like Arabic food, in my opinion. It's just so good. And there's way too much of it, but it's so good. (laughs) But anyway, she is the number one hospitality person hosting. She and her husband do all the marriage counseling for all the couples. She's leading the children's program. She's leading the women's program. And she's supporting her husband, who actually is the pastor of two churches and who was also working for a while. In in addition, he was working. He's an amazing builder. If you go to their home, all of the trim and all the stonework is Bashara's handiwork. Amazing. So these women are really my heroes because they just serve and they serve and they serve. And yet they have such joy. And so we designed this program not to give them a lot of academic uh, stress. We tried not to. She can tell you how it was if we did a good job. We still are a Bible college and we're accredited. So we had to have a certain level of, you know, standard of lots of coursework. But it was mainly to refresh them. Our dream was to have these women come to us one day a week and spend the day. We studied together all day. We had lunch in the middle of the day together and to really just bond as women to pray together and to equip them with more tools to do what they were already doing and to learn from each other because they were all doing this. And yet there's really not a lot of cooperation that happens, especially between the Arab villages and the Jewish towns. It's quite segmented. You don't see a lot of towns where there's a blend. Haifa is a big city that's a big blend. Jerusalem is a blend, but they're not blended. They're segmented. (laughs) But mostly you'll see Arab villages or Jewish villages, Arab villages or Jewish villages. So some of these people are living very close to each other and they have no idea what's happening in each other's lives or churches. So to bring these women together was amazing and very, very special. We actually came to the Galilee before we started the course. We all came up here for a retreat and none of them really knew each other, except of course, Rhonda. She comes from a very special family. There's five sisters in the family and three, four brothers. (laughs) Four of those five sisters did our course. So we just called them the sisters. (laughs) Now, Rhonda and her sister, Lena, we always could remember their names. The other two sisters, I always could get them mixed up for like months. It was terrible. But we said, you know, the sisters, the sisters from the Galilee. And all four of those sisters have pastor husbands. It's really an amazing family. So we brought them here and we wondered how will it go. We really prayed that these women would get to know each other in a way 
that was something supernatural. So we came together and an amazing thing happened. One of the women, her name is Heidi. She's actually an American who was one of the students and she's been here for 30 plus years. She and her husband were with a crew, if you're familiar with that, with Campus Crusade. We don't call anything a crusade in this part of the world. <laughs> was <laughs> we, Nothing good comes from crusade. So we call it, it was called Orba Aretz, which meant light in the land. And so that was the ministry, and they were working in Haifa University. They had five children, and their daughter, who was 12 or, thir- 12, uh, 13, 12 or 13 at the time, was coming home from school, and uh, her bus was blown up, and she was killed in a terrorist attack a suicide bomber. So we asked her ahead of time, Heidi, would you be willing to share your story with the group? Because the thing that we were realizing that women have in common is pain. You know, it's painful to be a woman. Can I hear an amen? No. (laughs) It's painful to be a woman. It's painful. Childbirth is painful. Raising children is painful. Carrying the, the pains of your children is difficult. And then when you live in a country or you're in ministry, there's just pain upon more pain. And so we thought, you know, we wonder if she'd be willing to share. And she said, yes, she would be willing to share. Now, at the same time, another woman named Jacqueline, she and her sister, her sister was there also helping translate into Arabic for us. They had just two weeks, not even two weeks before this retreat, lost their only brother, from a motorcycle accident, a tragic motorcycle accident, a father of children, married man. And they were still grieving these sisters. And so we asked them, would you just share like how we can be praying for you and what it's like, what you're going through. And so right at the very beginning of this retreat, they both shared. And as you can imagine, there was no dry eyes. We were all crying together. And it was like this brokenness, this common pain that we all know, It just broke down all the barriers in a way only the Lord could have done. So by the time we came to our class uh, in a a few weeks later for our very first class, you know, with our desk and our notebooks and everything, everybody was already together. All the, the walls were coming down. And we saw those walls come down throughout the whole thing. We were sisters, right? We're still sisters (laughs) forever. We didn't want it to end. Now, I just want to give a brief. That was longer than I planned, so I apologize. And if you need to stand up, walk around, I don't mind. I told Kelly, Joel, my husband, when we're doing tours, he does these rolling press conferences. So there's like four buses of tours usually. And he picks a bus and he just stands in the front with a microphone and he just does Q&A. Anything you want to ask me, ask me. But he always says, I won't feel bad if you fall asleep. I won't be offended because you are all been hot all day and you've been driving and they've hearing all this information and history and you're trying to process it. So it's okay. But I'm not going to say that. <laughs> I will be offended if you fall asleep. No, I'm just kidding. But stand up. So just stand up. Walk around. It's okay. I won't, be, I won't feel bad. And, and neither will any of our Cassandra or, or Rhonda. We'll understand if you need to stand up. It's okay. I just wanted to just give a little word of why we do what we do. Why women's ministry is so important. This place is an amazing place, and I hope, I know you, you got the air-conditioned view today, so that was really smart, whoever decided that. <laughs> but I hope that even early tomorrow morning or, or sometime, you can walk around a little bit, or when you come back, I hope you're considering this a sampler trip, and you're going to come back later another time. There is a beautiful chapel that I want you to see that's over uh, on this property. It's a, there's a church. Did anyone go into the church? 
So you saw the altar that's a boat. Did you go downstairs to the basement chapel? Okay. A third of the group. Okay. So in this basement chapel is a beautiful, beautiful wall. Like the whole wall is taken up with a mural, a painting. And the painting is as though you were down like a child at knee level. And you're looking through a crowd. And what you see is Jesus's robe and a lot of sandaled feet. And you see, I try not to cry because it's so powerful to me. You see a woman's arm just reaching through the crowd, right? Reaching through the crowd to touch his cloak. And this is the bleeding woman. You know, she doesn't have a name in the scripture. She's mentioned in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, but she's never given a name. And she's the woman that came along and she interrupted Jesus. If you remember, he was on his way to do something when she came along. And it's the same story in all three gospels. He had finished being in the Decapolis, remember, and Legion and everything. He had come back across the Galilee. There was already a crowd waiting for him on this side of the lake. And he was talking with the disciples. There were miracles that were happening. And then a ruler of the synagogue, Jairus, right, comes and falls down on his feet and says, my daughter, my only child, my little girl who's 12, she's dying. And I know if you just put your hands on her, she will be okay, right? And so Jesus says, okay. And Jesus and the disciples start to follow Jairus. And it says that the crowd, a large crowd, is following Jesus. So it's Jairus, the disciples, and Jesus, and this crowd. They're all walking on a road to go to the house where this little girl is, right? But it's on the way that Jesus stops, right? And he says, somebody touched me. And of course, I love the the disciples. They're like laughing at Jesus. Like, that's a really silly question. Everybody's touching you. There's a crowd around you. What do you mean? Who touched you? And he said, no, someone touched me. And in the different versions, it uses wonderful words. He one Once, uh, I think it's in Luke, it says he stops and he's looking around. He's, he's looking for her. In the other two, it just says he turned and he saw her. I just love that. That's what Jesus, who Jesus was, right? He was on his way to do something important, surrounded by crowds, and yet he stopped. For a nameless woman, he stopped and he looked for her. And he spoke to her and he said, daughter, your faith has made you well. And he was going to, to heal a daughter, a little girl. And yet he stopped for her because that was another daughter. And so I think this story, what a story of women and children. And then, you know, the interruption is over and he continues on his way. But remember, they stop and they say, ah, too late. She already died. And when they get to the house, there's already the mourners and everything. And he says, she's just asleep. And again, they laugh at Jesus. Huh, he thinks she's asleep. We all know she's dead. And Jesus raises her from the dead, right? And says, Talita Kumi, which means little girl, rise up. And he gives her food. He says, feed her and give her some food. And I love this story. So if you go down to that chapel, if you didn't get a chance or the next time, just sit there and pray. Pray that you'll be the type of person that's, that hears and stops, even in your, on your way somewhere, for the, for the woman in the road. That you'll go when you're called to be the good news and bring life to children, but also that you'll stop and you'll say, no, there's a nameless person I wasn't expecting. I'm stopping right now and I'm going to look at her in the eyes and tell her she's a daughter of God, the living God, and she deserves to be healed. Remember, as soon as she touched him, her bleeding stopped. She'd been bleeding for 12 years. She'd spent all her money on doctors and she says she'd suffered under the hands of many physicians. And yet here in that one moment from faith, she became a daughter and she became well. 
So this is what our heart is, is to just follow Jesus, to follow him on the road to the children, to anybody that we know that needs help, but also to make sure we're really listening and we're aware of the people along the way, because there's so many nameless people. Well, good day to you. It's Joel with Viking Country dropping in to let you know that our brand new film, Unsung Hero, is in theaters now. It's Luke here. We've teamed up with the creators of Jesus Revolution to bring you this adventure of a lifetime. It's a powerful, true story about a family uniting, growing in their faith, and facing the impossible together. In theaters now, unsunghero.movie for more information. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. What impacts you every day? There is one book that influences almost every aspect of our lives. Museum of the Bible reveals the Bible's impact on your favorite musicians and artists, the way we measure time, social justice, our national monuments, and more. The Bible's impact is all around you. Discover how at museumofthebible.org slash impact. Our verse of the day today is found in Matthew 19, 14. And Jesus said, Let the little children come to me, and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. Our prayer requests today are, number one, to pray for women and children in Israel and throughout the Middle East, affected by crises and war, that they might be encouraged and strengthened, and that they would be delivered from the impact of these crises that they've experienced. And second, pray that the Joshua Fund would be used by God to continue to raise partners to help women and children in the Middle East who are in such crisis. So one of them is called Bad Chaim, B-E-A-D, and then space, C-H-A-I-M, Bad Chaim. They are the biggest pro-life organization in this country, and they have counselors all over the country, from the north to the south. And they're Christians. Christians, they're believers. believers, They're believers, Believers. yes. Thank you, that's really important. Um, They're believers, and they're calling, visiting moms every single day. So they provide diapers, they provide formula, clothing for babies, counseling for mothers, coaching for work, um, whatever the mother might be facing as a challenge and needs to overcome, they will help her. Even if it's buying a refrigerator, they'll do it. The second one is a future and a hope. And they do the same exact thing on a smaller scale. And part of what they... Uh, really want to do is not just support the mother, but support the whole family, the community that surrounds the mother and the baby. So they go long-term with moms. Um, If they maybe work with the mother during her pregnancy and the first year of life of the child, and then she finishes or, you know, graduates from their program, and then years later she's facing a crisis in her life, she, they will continue that walk and that relationship, even if her baby is past one years old. Um, so they do a lot of um, coaching, life coaching. That was the example of the, the testimony that I shared of the woman that she didn't even know basic hygiene. Uh, a lot of women, a lot of people in these Bedouin villages, they, they don't know those things. And it seems very basic to us, but it's just not something that they're taught when they're growing up. So they'll even go to that level. With so are these extension ministries of Joshua, or are they partnering? 
They are partners, so we support them. They're doing yeah. the work, and we support them by grants, by funding, and then like the Prayer Life Initiative that we're doing this year, that was a year of sitting and talking with them and hearing what they're, as, as ministries, what they're facing as challenges and what their dreams are and how we can help make that a reality. Um, that's how it was birthed. Yeah, so you'll, what you'll hear over and over as you learn more about the Joshua Fund is the, the heart of it is not to come in and to have our own programs and say this is how it's going to be done, but it's, it has always been to come in to support what God is already doing in the local churches and with the local people. So we want to serve the servants. You'll see there was a bad tradition that was kind of pattern that was happening with among pastors where, you know, they have these small congregations, there's not enough money to support the pastor, let alone the work of the church. And so a pastor would end up spending a big part of his time going to America or Canada or Singapore or wherever, trying to raise money for the church instead of shepherding his flock. And so that was that's one segment of what we do is trying to, you know, the pastors need just stay here. <laughs> let us come alongside and help, you know, in various ways that we can. We don't just fund pastors necessarily, but we have helped with assistant pastors. We've helped with secretarial work. We've helped with uh, sending them to Bible college, some of their up-and-coming leaders to get training. So we come in to serve the servants and then also to give them also uh, breaks where we can take them away on retreats, where we can listen to them. What are you dreaming of? If you had more help, what do you see would be possible? And so if there's small ways, we never want to come in and dump a lot of money on anybody. We don't want them to be dependent on us. But we want to come in wisely and listening and praying and building a relationship. So there's a lot of things we do that don't involve money, that involve just encouragement and prayer or um, things like that. So, yeah, so we don't have our own programs really much. So just an extension question. Yeah. Um, Rhonda had mentioned two or three women (laughs) Um, uh, two that were Muslims, uh, another friend that had died. Were these women part of the ministry certificate initiative that Joshua Fund had tried to um, uh, create three years ago, or were these just relationships that you had organically? Um, if I understand with your question that you asked, if this woman is from our church or from the... At the beginning, if, if I'm not mistaken, yeah. you were trying to create ministry certificate mm-hmm. possibilities for women. Right? That's right. Mm-hmm. And you had, I, I, I guess I missed, how many women did you So bring? 20 women were part of the program. And the women that... Oh, Rhonda was one of the students. Yeah, Rhonda was one of the students. But the ones that she were describing were not part of the students. No, so the, the goal in the program was to bring 20 leaders, 20 women leaders, and to refresh them and equip them and to help them to... Part of what we found out, and Rhonda can say if she believes that, I think this is true, that a lot of the women, just to sit with these women and say, you know, what are your gifts that God's given you? We all have spiritual gifts. Do you know what your spiritual gifts are? How has God wired you? What has he given you to dream about? And so many of these women said, I don't know. I don't have the, I don't have the luxury to think about those things. I just have to like literally do what has to be done every day in front of me. So it was wonderful to say, look, Let's get a vision for discipleship. What if you begin to pray that you have more women that you begin to to take alongside you? 
So we wanted to inspire them. We wanted to encourage them to think, you know, if you're using your spiritual gifts, more fruit is going to come than if you're trying to do everything. So these were out, this was an outflowing of the program, but it was just within Rhonda's community through her. So then what's the pipeline look like today? 2023, you've graduated the first 20 students Uh with certificates. Is there there a new class coming in behind so that the program was it wasn't a Joshua and Friend program, just to make sure you're clear on that one. So I yes, I did help I mean I am the co-founder of the Joshua Fund, so I took off that hat <laughs> and I put on a different hat because I we were neighbors with the president of the Bible college and his wife and went to church together and when the academic dean said, I really think that we should have a program for women they asked me to to come alongside and help to develop that. So that was with the Bible College. So that was a program of the Bible College. I don't work for the Bible College now. I I felt God was calling me after this cohort. It could never get better than Rhonda, so I'm like, I'm out. (laughs) For a variety of reasons, which I won't go into now, but it just the Lord called me to do something different now. I have great relationships with those people. It wasn't that. But uh, they are doing it again. They're going to continue doing it again. They're using some of my curriculum. So that's nice. Um, <laughs> they want me to come teach. I'm not sure whether I can or not. I really feel like God's asking me actually to invest more at the Joshua Fund and to be more with Joel. We're newly empty nesters. And we just feel like God's wanting us to do more together. And so I'm excited about that. So it, it, was, a huge, it was a huge lift to make that program. I had to go get a master's degree, which I never intended to do. But yeah, it's going on. It's going on. And what happened with those 20 women is we continue to coach them. So we're all still in relationship. And um, the last project they had to do was called Building a Ministry to Women. So it didn't have to be a huge, huge thing. It could be something small. It could be just we don't have small groups. I mean, there's not women's ministry in most, like you guys think of it, in most churches. <laughs> there's not like women's Bible studies and Wednesdays for women or stuff like that, you know, women's brunches. It just doesn't really happen. It's happening, starting to. But um, so we've seen a lot of exciting growth in that area. But anyway, they all had to come up with a project. And so we've been coaching them as they implement that project. And so that's been exciting. It's 18 different churches are represented by those 20 women. And so it's very exciting. Yeah. It was a good, a good time and a blessing time for us. <laughs> also, because all the time we feel the love from the teachers, from each other. You know, there are many times we didn't spend time with the believer Jewish women and Arab, Arab women, and we like one in Christ and pray together, learn together, hug each other, and all the time relate relationship with together and it was so blessing for us and now I have many sisters from each City, mm-hmm. city, and when I need a prayer, I call them. Yeah, we didn't discontinue our WhatsApp group. <laughs> yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, but and by the way, just also to be clear, the Joshua Fund did financially support that program. I was not allowed to vote on that budget item because yeah, because it was a conflict of interest. But yeah, so we did support it. It was one of the projects we supported. So, yeah, so we come in and support projects that believers are already hoping, either doing or even dreaming of to try to help them. So, yeah. There you go. Let's wrap, I guess. <laughs> well, thank you for listening to this episode of Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg. 
an understanding about women's ministry and children's ministry and how the Joshua Fund is making a difference in many, many women and children's lives. If you found this podcast really valuable, please get in touch with us. Let us know who you are. Do you want to talk about something else on this show? Do you have a question you want Joel to answer? Send any comments you may have to podcast at joshuafund.net. Your feedback is incredibly valuable as we develop this podcast. And as always, you can check out our show notes for anything you heard on the podcast you'd like more information on. For Joel Rosenberg and Lynn Rosenberg and the entire Joshua Fund ministry team, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening to Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg. I'm Don Hawkins, inviting you to be encouraged with my weekly podcast, Encouragement for You. To subscribe, go to lifeaudio.com.